But why does MASH, of all shows, have the record? It's one of the greatest shows of all time, sure. And it aired during the height of the Big Three Network era, but a lot of other classics did as well. All in the Family's run largely overlapped with MASH's and was often the more popular and acclaimed show. But its finale, before it transitioned into Archie Bunker's place, averaged a little over a third of the audience that came for Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen. MASH had a few built-in advantages. First, it ended at a time when grand TV series finales were still the exception rather than the norm. For most of the medium's history to that point, TV shows didn't so much end as stop. Last episodes told stories very much like the ones from the week before. Gilligan and the Skipper would have to wait for a reunion movie or three to get rescued from the island. Because in the last regular episode, Gilligan was dressing up as a woman to trick the native king of a nearby island out of throwing Ginger, Marianne, or Mrs. Howell into a nearby volcano. You can look it up. Television narratives were designed to be open-ended, and many executives believed the syndication value would be hurt if the story ever concluded, and Wednesday's rerun of the definitive ending was followed by Thursday's repeat of the pilot episode. But if the business didn't like final chapters, the audience did. One of the reasons that the fugitive audience was so huge was because the finale avoided tradition and, spoiler, let Richard Kimball catch the one-armed man and clear his name. Second, MASH was important with a capital I in a way that even All in the Family or The Mary Tyler Moore Show, another 70s sitcom with an atypically final finale, could not be. It debuted in 1972, two years after the release of the beloved Oscar-winning film, both of them based on the novel by Richard Hooker. Like the movie, it was technically set in the time of the Korean War, but was really telling stories about Vietnam, and at a time when all but the most blinkered of hawks had accepted that we had lost that conflict. It provided not only laughter as a tonic for all the horrors on the network news, but at times an incredibly thoughtful examination of what it was like over there, all with the comforting filter of the Korea references. And though it kept running for seven years after the last U.S. chopper left Saigon, and outlasted America's involvement in Korea by almost nine years, the later seasons coincided with a time when the country was finally ready to more directly confront the subject on film, through the likes of Apocalypse Now, The Deer Hunter, and Coming Home. Beyond its value as a coded, cathartic narrative about an ongoing national trauma, MASH was a great TV show almost all the way around, and it shared a quality with many other beloved series. It was not ultimately about any individual character, but a place, the 4077th Mobile Army Surgical Hospital Unit, which in turn represented a particular institution, the United States military, and a certain way of dealing with the world. Bureaucracy, God forbid. This might have been the real secret of its popular success. Even though most of us aren't in a life-and-death business, we've all chafed under rules that seem nonsensical or self-defeating or tried to do good work without proper funding or moral support or resolved to grin and bear it while an incompetent or cruel superior made our lives difficult. The style and structure did a lot to make an experience that was thankfully foreign to most viewers feel welcoming. The consistent storytelling ensured that no matter where you joined the narrative, you could find your footing within a couple of scenes. Every episode included one or more familiar story beats, the arrival of choppers bearing fresh wounded, gory surgery leavened by snide or silly jokes, corpse disposal, pranks and group activities such as dances or parties, or Alan Alda's Hawkeye trying to see how many people he could cram into a Volkswagen, griping about bad food, the reading and writing of letters. This all drove home the grinding, repetitive nature of life in the camp and anchored all the silliness in the blood and muck of reality and showed how the former made the latter more bearable, at least some of the time. 
Care of the wounded was shown to be an assembly line process that was meant to heal the sick, or at least make their deaths as painless as possible, but was hampered by a lack of funding and proper equipment. The doctors and nurses were constantly having to improvise with materials that weren't designed for medicine, as well as by the indifference of the military brass or their paper-pushing underlings and acts of sabotage by someone that a major character had offended. Colonel Blake, McLean Stevenson, and especially Colonel Potter, Harry Morgan, were constantly angling to get rest and recreation, R&R, for their men and women, or horse trade for much-needed supplies. The Holy Grail was always a jeep. And there were times when Hawkeye or BJ, Mike Farrell, or some other character would fudge paperwork or pull a switcheroo that would make life bearable for someone else. If only for a while. The series' original producers, Larry Gilbart and Gene Reynolds, resisted CBS's orders to add a laugh track. They wanted the show to have real stakes so that the jokes would feel like welcome relief from the horrors beyond the camp. As a compromise, they were allowed to mute the laughter during surgical scenes.